All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, want to give a big shout out to all of our VIPs. Thanks for being here. If you're a first time guest, it's our privilege to have you in the house. All of our Faith family, man, good to see you guys here this weekend. Uh, no wins or losses yesterday. That's a victory. Let's give it up for our Lawrenceburg campus, man. It's good to have you guys in the house. Hey, listen, I want you all to hear from me as a lead pastor here at Faith Church how important it is for us in this next season to really get very focused in what God's called us to do. You know, the, the call on the church, not just Faith Church, the, the church of the world, is to take the gospel uh, to the ends of the planet. And so this is our way in part of doing that is partnering with Children's Hope Chest and uh, uh, adopting this care point. So I want to encourage you, man, to just pray through this service before you head out. At least stop back and ask questions. And uh, I would encourage possibly some of you, man, to, uh, to consider adopting one of these children. This is a big investment we're going to make as a church into this community. And we're to believe God to help us to make a difference to change people's eternity. Amen? All right. Well, listen, uh, several weeks ago, we started a brand new series entitled Slippery Slope. Slippery Slope is a series about something that everybody in this room is familiar with. Whether you're new here today, this is your first time here, if, uh, if you are very far along in your spiritual journey, if you're nowhere, you don't even have a relationship with Christ at this point, everybody in this room is familiar with the idea of temptation. We all feel the pull. We all feel the struggle and the tension in our lives to be attracted, to be tempted to things. Often it's the things that we feel like should be out of bounds, should be off limits. Sometimes those are the things that we want the most. And so through this series, we've been talking about this idea of sometimes finding ourselves on the slippery slope of sin. In fact, for week one, we talked about this idea of situational awareness, that if you'll know who you are, if you'll know the situation you find yourself in, if you'll know the, the, the context of, of the workplace you're in or the conversations you get into, sometimes the greater your situational awareness, the less likely you are to fall into sin. Week two, we talked about this idea that sometimes, unfortunately, falling is a part of our spiritual journey. But just because you fall, you can still fall gracefully. And what it means to fall gracefully is not to, is not to hide the shame or shift the blame. If you want to really access the grace, you've got to own the fall. You've got to say, that was me, that was on me, that was my fault, that was my struggle, that was my sin. And I'm just telling you, when you open up your heart to God, God's grace is enough. And last week, we talked about the idea that temptation ultimately is a trade-off. When we give in to temptation, we are trading what we want in the moment for really what we want most. And sometimes when we give in to temptation, when we fall on the slippery slope of sin, sometimes we're making a big sacrifice for who we are, for what God's called us to walk in. And so today as we finish this off, I want to talk about something that's been my passion this entire series. And it's just the big idea found in two words, get up. Come on, everybody shout those two words, get up, get up. That, here's the idea is that no matter how far you've fallen, you can get up. Now, I know sometimes, and some of you in this room, you're going to recognize this right away, that sometimes it's counterintuitive to get up. Sometimes we feel like we've fallen so far, or we've fallen so hard, or we have fallen so many times that, you know, it's better off just to stay down, or maybe we were meant to be down. And so the idea for you to get up, it's, it's a challenge because you think maybe that's just beyond you. And today, as we jump in, I just want you to know that there's a long, long line of people in history, a long line of people in our culture that have fallen, but they keep getting up again. People, for example, like Steven Spielberg. You know, Steven Spielberg was denied access to USC film school multiple times, but he continued to apply himself and eventually got accepted. People like Oprah Winfrey, who was told in her first news anchor job that she wasn't fit for TV and was fired. People like Lady Gaga that was just three months into her contract with Def Jam Records and was released from her contract. 
People like the Beatles who were told they weren't good enough and rejected by multiple album labels. There's a guy, you may not know his name, but he's a young prodigy, uh, prodigy in science and math. His name is Jack Andraka. Jack Andraka, 15 years of age, applied to uh, 200 research labs, got rejected from 199 of them. It was the 200 research lab that accepted him. Once he was in, he came up with a brand new pancreatic cancer test that was 100 times more accurate than what was previously used and 26,000 times less expensive. And it's because we know names like that because even though they got down, come on, somebody, they got up again. Everybody shout, get up. So what do you do when you fall? What do you do when you struggle? Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't. What do we do when we keep going around the same mountain of mistakes? Maybe you're here and maybe your marriage is on the mat. Like you're tired of arguing, you're tired of fighting, you're tired of the tension. And so maybe you're ready to tap out. Some of you here, man, you keep struggling with the same addiction or the same habit. Maybe it'd just be easier just to give in and live the lifestyle. Maybe some of you here, man, you've had big opportunities or big dreams, but you've dropped the ball Maybe things haven't happened the way you thought or when you thought, so you're ready to give up on the dream that God has for your life or you're ready to give up on the opportunity. And today I just want to tell you, listen to me, that you have the capacity in Christ to get up again. And it may not feel that way because sometimes we feel like we are defined by our failures. But what you need to know this morning right out of the gate is that your failures are not fatal and they are not final. As long as you are alive, you have an opportunity to get up again. Listen, Jesus stood at the tomb of a man who was dead by the name of Lazarus and said, get up. There's nobody in this room that that's far gone. And if Lazarus can get up because of Christ, anybody in this room can get up again. We talk about we're not defined by our failures. The epitome of Christianity is that we are not defined by, uh, we're defined by what Jesus did, not by what we did. We're not defined by our failures. We are defined by Christ. We are defined as children of God. We are defined as victorious. We are defined as overcomer. Come on, nobody in this room, God doesn't look at you and say you're a failure even though you failed. He doesn't say that we should stay down just because we are down in Christ. God wants us to have the capacity to get up again. As we step into this, I mean, again, the the reality is sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes we feel like failures. We feel defeated. We feel overcome. We feel like it's gone. And if you're here and you say you can't get up, I just want you to know you're underestimating the grace of God. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about God's ability not just to forgive our sins. Sometimes we think about grace. If you've been in church for a while, we think about how expansive God's grace is. That no matter how much we sin, God's grace is able to forgive us. Anybody here thankful for that? The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. But what we need to know about grace is it's not, it's not just this expansive capacity and ability to forgive all of our sin. It's the power of God to pull us out of sin. Come on, somebody. To change our life and to change our trajectory and course in life. If you're here and maybe you think like you shouldn't get up, like this is just who you are. You're just destined to live down. I just want you to know when you, when you question whether you should get up, you're questioning the call of God on your life. God didn't birth you to be a failure. He didn't bring you onto this planet to live your life down. He brought you here to live as an image bearer of God, to live a life as an overcomer. So through grace and through his call, you can, come on, say it with me, get up, get up, get up. Come on, shout it, get up. And so we're going to walk through this idea of what it looks like some of the challenges we face to get up again. We're going to look at a guy, his name in the Old Testament is Samson. And many of you guys in this room who've been in church for a while, you know that name. You know some of his story. 
Samson is found in this Old Testament book called the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is a historical book. It's a historical book, some of the timeline of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. At this time, um, you find in the book of Judges, if you've never read it, it's a great read, but it's, it's kind of cylindrical. It kind of keeps going through the same pattern as you read it. And here's the pattern over and over and over again. In fact, you'll not just recognize it in the book, but if you're honest, sometimes it's my pattern and sometimes it's your pattern. Here's the pattern of the book of Judges. The pattern of the book of Judges goes like this, that God's people serve God and love God. Then they go from serving God, they rebel a little bit, and they start worshiping false gods and doing their own thing and start disobeying God. God allows them to fall uh, into captivity to surrounding nations because they don't like their current situation. They don't like being slaves to foreigners. Ultimately, they cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer to come and rescue them, and in their freedom, they start to worship God again. And that same cycle happens over and over, and the deliverers that God raises up to rescue his people are the judges. Now, again, I don't know about you guys, but how many in this room, man, that's your story. Let's be honest. Sometimes, man, we worship God, and then we get off, and we disobey God, and we cry out to God, and God rescues us. That same cycle is what happens over and over in the book of Judges. And this guy by the name of Samson, like he's the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Old Testament. He's the cat we're going to talk about today. He is one of the judges that God raises up to rescue from this group of people called the Philistines. Now, early on, before Samson ever shows his face, before he's ever born, his mother is barren. She can't have kids. And so the Bible tells us that she has a visitation from an angel of the Lord. Like this messenger shows up and tells Samson's mother, hey, you're going to have a baby boy. And nobody gets more jacked up to have a baby boy than dad does. Word gets to dad. Dad is geeked out. He comes and has the same encounter with the angel of the Lord. And right here, this is what he says. His name, Samson's dad's name is Manoah. Manoah said, come on here, read it with me. When your words come true, when we have the baby, what is to be the child's manner of life? Come on, shout it. And what is his mission? Manoah recognized something about his soon-born son, Samson, that's true about every person in this room. You come into this place with a purpose on your life. You are born into this world with a mission from God. Come on, somebody. You're not here by accident. You are here with a mission from God. And Samson, or Manoah knew that was true about Samson. And here's the cool thing. You say, well, what is, what is my mission? What is, what is my purpose? Your provision will always line up with your purpose. What God gives you to do will line up with what God's called you to do. Some in this room have a greater capacity for compassion. When we saw the story about some of these young kids, some of your hearts beat a little heavier and you were stirred a little deeper because it's your compassion that helps you recognize what you're called to do. Some of you have a greater capacity for generosity or a greater capacity for leadership. Some of you have the ability to open businesses and, and dream different kinds of dreams. And it's your provision that lines up with your purpose. It's what God's called you to do that'll lead you in that path of your mission. And here's what you need to know about Samson's strength. Samson wasn't just naturally strong in his own ability. Like he wasn't just this muscle-bound fool that you see in the gym grunting a lot. I'm just telling you, I make some noise in the gym, not because it's heavy. I just want people to know I'm working out. And when I'm done working out, I will move the weight, the pin down. So when the next person gets on, it looked like I'm lifting more than I was. Come on, I'm admitting it in front of the whole church. Vanity. Vanity. Samson is this incredibly strong man. He's gifted by God, and we know what his purpose is. 
God calls him to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel. And he does not have it in his own strength to do what God's called him to do. So God provides him with supernatural strength. But it only shows up in the struggle. It only shows up in the struggle. We find throughout the story of Samson found in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 that this natural guy, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and strength shows up and that's when he's able to fight the fight. Some of you will never know what God's called you to do until you put yourself in the situation for his strength to come upon you. Strength don't come upon you sitting in a pew and strength don't sit up, doesn't come upon you sitting on a couch. Strength will come upon you walking in your call and fulfilling your purpose. You'll find out how big God God is and how big your call is when you'll put yourself in jeopardy. Come on. When you'll put yourself in the heat of the battle, when you'll put yourself in your call, God's strength will come upon you. And you find Samson as he does this, that there are times, for example, there's a lion walking down the road. And Samson has an encounter with a lion, unlike probably anybody else in this room. If I see a lion, I'm gone. He engages with this lion. The Bible says that he grabs this lion and literally the strength of God comes upon him and he rips this lion in two. Fast forward and we find not only that, we find another time that Samson, he falls into the hands of the enemy, the Philistines. And even in the hands of the enemy, the Bible says again, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and that strength came up in him. And he grabbed a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Now, come on, that's some strength, somebody. That's, a super, that's some super ninja strength right there. Because, again, it wasn't in his own capacity. It was in the strength that came from God to help fulfill his mission that God put on his life. And so you continue to see this. And so Samson becomes known and synonymous with strength. When you hear his name, again, it's, you automatically go to this place of this strong man of God doing great things through. But if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you maybe grew up in Sunday school and you remember the flannel graphs of the pictures, unfortunately, Samson's name is not only synonymous with strength, but it's synonymous with struggle. In fact, when you watch and you read the story of this strong man, Samson, you not only find him on the mountaintop of victory, but oftentimes you'll find him in the valley of defeat. That he'll go through these cycles where, man, everything's going great and he's serving God and like he's having these victories and he's overcoming. And then you'll find these days that he's bottomed out and he's disobeying God and he's struggling. Come on, anybody else here know what it's like to be on the mountaintop and in the valley? Anybody here know what it's like to live God for one day and Monday shows up and you struggle? Come on, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you do well. And then Thursday, Friday, you bottom out. Come on, anybody here be honest. This is the cycle of Samson is there are strength and there are struggles. There are victories and there are defeats. In fact, ultimately, it's in the life of Samson that Samson's name often does not stand alone in history. When you hear the name of Samson, immediately another name, if you are familiar with biblical history or the biblical timeline, when you hear the name of Samson, another name immediately rises to our tongue. What is it? It's Samson and who? Delilah. Isn't that crazy? That a man who was born with a mission from God received incredible strength by the Spirit of God, defeated thousands of enemies of God. Even though he had all of this strength and all these victories, there were times he still struggled, and his life is synonymous with the failure of Delilah. Did you know Delilah's name? Delilah's name means weakness or feebleness. The strongest man who ever lived was defeated by weakness. See, what I want you to know is that there's a reason. There's a reason all of us in this room, man, because you have a mission on your life, that's why we face temptation. 
The temptation is not just there for no reason. The enemy wants to rob you of your mission because if we'll walk in our mission, God will get glory from our lives and people we're connected to will find Christ. If we will live out our mission, if we will fulfill our purpose, we will be a light in a dark place. As we step into a partnership with Children's Hope Chest, our goal and our strategy and our prayer is that God will use us, God will use our resources, God will use our connections, that we'll make an impact in that community and we'll bring the light of the gospel into a dark place. Come on somebody that's part of our mission and the enemy wants us to walk in temptation wants us to fall on the slippery slope of sin so we can't walk out what God has put in our path and that's exactly what happens to Samson and we find the strongest man who ever lived taken out by a woman taken out by laying his hat his his head in the lap of Delilah And if you know his story, he's not just there once, he's there twice, he's there three times, which reminds me that probably at some point he thought, I can just keep getting away with this. Like, this is is no big deal. Some of you in this room, man, you keep kind of finding yourself on the slippery slope and you think because you got away with it once that you can get away with it twice and you can just keep getting away with it. And I promise you, if you keep finding yourself on the slippery slope, you will eventually slide down it. And the strongest man who ever lived even though he could kill lions and kill thousands of the enemies of the Philistines, got taken out by Delilah. In fact, he hooks up with this woman, and you find in the story that the Philistines have actually paid Delilah off. The same way he has a mission by God to defeat the enemies of God, Delilah is hired by those same enemies to take him out. They pay her, they hire her to find out what's the secret, what's the secret of Samson's strength. And so he's laying his head in her lap, and she's, she's rubbing his hair. And What's your secret, baby? It's my Delilah imitation. <laughs> if you get up here, you can do your imitation. <laughs> and she's, you know, he won't tell her. He keeps kind of making up little stories, but he keeps getting closer and closer. Finally, he lets her know it's in his hair, but he won't tell exactly what. In fact, the Bible tells us that she, she puts his hair in a loom and Come on, some of you guys have laid your head in your girlfriend's lap and she did your hair. Come on, it happened to Samson. It happened to you, you can admit it. And finally, he comes clean and he admits what the secret sauce is to his strength. He admits what the source of his strength is. And he says it's his hair. And here's where the story picks up. Samson's head is in the lap of Delilah. Judges chapter 16, verse 17 says this. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. And Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands and Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And in this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Come on, read that. And his strength left him. You want to talk about a bad hair day? Samson had a bad hair day. Anybody ever have a bad hair day before? Have a bad hair day today? You don't need to raise your hand. We know. We can see it. A bad hair day. A bad hair day for men is middle age when you lose it. I still have mine, so I don't care what color it is. I don't care what it looks like as long as it's there. My son asked me the other day, he said, he said Dad, are you going to go bald like Grandpa? I said, we pray not. 
We rebuke the bald spirit in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hair come out. <laughs> What's a, what, is a, what does a shave have to do with strength? Samson gets a haircut and loses his strength. My wife and I, when we got married 25 years ago, we went on our honeymoon a little private island called Kiowa Island, a little private island off of private Macy. It sounded a lot more expensive than it was. But they called it a private island, so I'll sound uppity and say private too. Went to this little private island and uh, off the coast of uh, North Carolina. Beautiful time. It was a great week. And um, while we were there, if you've traveled anywhere around the world, when I say anywhere, I mean literally anywhere, everywhere you go, you can get this, you can get this uh, happen. You can have this happen to you. I'm talking about third world countries and the ports, or you can go to any kind of resort in, in the United States, and you can go anywhere and you can get your hair braided. There's somebody there that will braid your hair for money. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? So Kiwa Island, we're there for the week, and there's someone braiding hair. My wife, the first time and the last time, decided to get her hair braided. And so, <laughs> and so she sat down, and they took some, you know, three or four colors of thread and, you know, started and took a, took a knot and then tied it and wrapped this, braided these threads through her hair, and she had this beautiful little braid the whole week while we were on our honeymoon, and, about a week after we came home, she had it. And finally, one night, she was ready to get it out. And so she handed me scissors and asked me to cut it off. And so I did. Yes, some of you were a little quicker than I was that night. She handed me scissors and said, here, cut this. And I thought she meant the, the whole thing. So I cut it off, cut it off and handed it to her. <laughs> Samson got a haircut and lost her strength. My wife got a haircut and lost her mind. She was, she was not happy. <laughs> and it was like an eight-month reminder, this little patch of hair every time she did her hair growing out, a reminder that we had poor communication skills and she possibly made a bad decision in her husband's selection. <laughs> Samson gets a haircut and loses his strength. He falls. He's on the slippery slope in the lap of Delilah and he loses the provision for his purpose. He loses the strength to do what God put in his life to fulfill his mission. And you ask, what is the connection between a haircut and his strength? And ultimately, uh, you need to know this, that he was a Nazarite. In fact, Judges 16, verse 20 says, um, flip ahead to the next verse, will you? It says this, it says, uh, when he was born, or just before he was born, it says, you'll become pregnant. This is what the angel of the Lord said, and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. I want you to notice that his call to be a Nazarite. Now, I know that's not something we use today, but the call to be a Nazarite was connected with his purpose to defeat the Philistines. A Nazarite at that time was a vow that an individual would take to consecrate or commit themselves to the purpose of God. It was this kind of next-level commitment. It was, it, was, it was the people that bring the thick Bibles to the church. You all know what I'm talking about. Some people get out the digital devices, and there's persons like, that's what a Nazarite vow. They were committed. They were called next level. There were three things that marked a Nazarite vow. Number one, they committed to drink no strong drink, no wine, no beer, no alcohol, number one. Number two, they couldn't touch or come close to anything dead. If there was a funeral, they would send their condolences and flowers. They wouldn't show up. And number three, they didn't get their hair cut. 
Samson was a Nazarite. He took the Nazarite vow, and it wasn't this external stuff. It was an internal way. The external stuff reflected an internal heartbeat and connection and commitment to be the man God called him to be. And when you track his story, you find that he starts making these small compromises. First of all, he, he gets married earlier on in the story. You can read it. And we know in the story, the Bible doesn't explicitly say he drank wine, but we know that there's a big wedding festival. We know there's a big celebration and he's the groom. He probably toasted. He probably got toasted. Come on, somebody. And we know he probably drank. Number two, you're not supposed to touch anything dead. The lion that he killed, the Bible says the next day he's walking down the road and there's the carcass of the lion that he ripped in two. Honeybees have come and taken up residence on the inside of this carcass. He's so hungry, he scoops out the honey and he's walking down the road eating the honey that he scooped out of the carcass. You got to be hungry to beat some honey out of a carcass of a lion. So we find right away he's touching dead things, even though he is strictly forbidden in his Nazarite vow to not touch dead things. He picks up the bone of a deceased donkey, and that's how he defeats a thousand Philistines. So he continues to make these small compromises and ultimately finds himself in the lap of Delilah getting a haircut. Here's what's important for you to know, is that when you make small compromises in your life, you make big concessions to your call. What God has called you to do, he will equip you to do. But when you start making little, little compromises in your life, it starts compromising the power and the strength of God in your life. And ultimately, Samson loses his strength. Judges 13 verse 1 says this, and again, the, Israelite, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I want you all to hear this for a second. We live in a culture right now that tries to define for, for our nation, for people overall, what's right and what's wrong. And you have to decide who will you take your cues from and what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is evil. Some of you want to take your cues from government, want to take your cues from the Democratic Party, from the Republican Party, want to take our cues from entertainment and TV, and everybody's going to have an opinion on what they think is right, what they think is wrong, what they think is acceptable, and what they think is unacceptable. What I want you to notice in that verse is the Bible said the nation of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't just do evil, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I just want you to know that there is only one person that has the right to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, and that is God himself. And you don't have to listen to him, but when you say you belong to him and you submit your life to him and he's the king of your heart and the king of your life, then he is the one person who defines what is good and what is evil. There's a lot of people that might have looked at Samson's decisions and said, no big deal, get your drink on, big man, it's your honeymoon. Might have said, there's no big deal. You go ahead and do what you got to do to fight the fight if that includes touching dead things. Might have been a lot of people say, get the girl you can get if that includes getting a haircut. But when you make compromises in your life, you make concessions in your call. And God is the one who has the right to say what is in bounds and what is off bounds. And as people of God, we got to make the decision to honor the one who gets to make the call. Come on, somebody. God is the one who makes the call. Ultimately, he lost his strength because he dishonored his source. God was the source of his strength, and when he dishonored that relationship, that's where his strength went. So keep rolling in the story. It says this. So eventually this, this strong man, Samson, he gets captured. It says, so the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. And they took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Listen, you can read that and roll through that really quick. That's one of the greatest verses of grace found in Scripture, that his hair began to grow back. Come on, y'all say that. His hair began to grow back. Even though he did everything in his power to make the wrong decisions that lost him his strength, God was good enough to let his hair grow back. Come on, somebody. That's the original hair club for men right there. 
grace. So Samson, the hair comes back and his strength's right behind it. Judges 16, verse 25 says this. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. His Philistine captives, man, think about this. The Philistines had been being defeated by Samson over and over. He was killing thousands of them. And they were so angry and they were looking for a way to capture him, looking for a way to strip him of his strength. And finally, through Delilah, they succeed. So Samson becomes a trophy for the Philistines. It's a mockery that their God, the God of Dagon, is now greater than the God of Israel because they were able to capture the strong man of Israel. And they not only chain him up and put him to work grinding in the grain mill, but now they're going to bring him in as a strong man circus freak to entertain them. And so he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. And Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by hand, Place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Some of you know where their story is about to go, but let me just give you a heads up. Samson is about to have an incredible victory because even though he was down, he got up again. Come on, everybody, shout, get up. It is never too late to get up. He's about to get on his feet, but what I want you to know is even though he's on his feet, he's still in his chains. You don't have to have everything in your life put together to be used by God. Sometimes we feel like, okay, I got up, but I got to fix this, and my, fa- my marriage isn't right, and my kids aren't perfect. Listen, you can have a marriage that's not 100%. You can have some kids that are off the rails. You can have some issues in your life still and still be used by God. The beautiful thing about the God we serve is he is, he is able to use the imperfect to do the perfect. He is able to use the weak to do the strong. Come on, somebody. You don't have to have your life together to be used by God. <laughs> Samson is still in chains. You know, the apostle Paul one time, he defined himself as a prisoner in chains because he was in jail, but God was still using his life. Here Samson is. He is still in chains, but thank God his hair is growing back and his strength's coming back. And he is behind the two main pillars underneath the temple of the God of Dagon. And he prays this prayer. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Come on, read these words with me. Pushing against them with both hands. You will never push unless you believe your strength is back. One of the ways you know you believe God's restoring your strength and restoring your call, one of the ways you know you're on your feet again is you put yourself back in the position to succeed. You put yourself back in the relationship. You put yourself back in the marriage. You put yourself back in the ministry. You put yourself back in the call. When you know you're on your feet, I'm just telling you, you're going to push with all your might. And he pushes with both hands, and he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people right here. Come on, everybody read it. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. See, what the crazy thing is about the life of Samson is we hear his name and we think of Delilah. We hear his name and we think of his failure and we think of his defeat. And his life is marked by that. But did you know Judges chapter 15, it ends saying this, that he served as a judge of Israel for 20 years, 20 years of victory washed away by one bad decision in the lap of Delilah. But his story didn't end there. He got up. And some of you feel like, again, you've fallen too many times and you've fallen too far and you've fallen too hard. I just want you to know today, by God's grace and God's call in your life, you can get up again. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Your greatest victory can still follow your hardest fall. Your best days, I'm telling you, are not behind you. 
One of the things that I think is important, and people will come up and they'll say this in Pastor, one of, one of the reasons we like to come to faith is because we feel like you're real. Let me tell you why you think I'm real, because I'm real. See, I can preach it, but I got to live it just like you do. I got to make the same decisions you got to make of how I'll respond to situations, how I'll treat people. If I watch this TV show or turn the channel, stay in the conversation or walk away from the conversation, tell the joke, listen to the joke, repeat the joke. If I'll lust, if I'll look, if I'll cheat, if I'll covet, I got the same struggles you have. I'm the same Samson you are. I have my strengths and I have my struggles. The decision for every one of us, and not only Samson, but for me, and some of you in this room, it's your story, that you are where you are because you got up again. I have no right in my own strength to be on this platform. But God called me, and I've blown it, and I've messed up, and I've fallen, and I've struggled, and the difference is God's given me grace, the same grace that Jesus made possible on the cross of Calvary for me made possible for you. The difference is people who choose to get up. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says this, and we'll close. Every voice, I want you to read it. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Come on, one more time. We got to shout this verse. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. First of all, the first two words are what? The godly, not the average, not the jokers, not the ones who are playing church. You can be godly and still fall. You can love Jesus with all of your heart and you can still fall. You can read your Bible, say your prayers and come to church and still fall. You can be on a serve team. You can be a connect group leader and you can still fall. I'm not making an excuse for it. Nobody should ever plan to fall, but if you fall, you should make plans to get up again. You can be godly and fall. It says they not only fall, but they fall how many times? Seven times. The number seven is the number of perfection. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is you can live your life in a section and in a season where you are a constant failure. The mark of your life is not that you fail. The mark of the godly is not how many times they fall, not how hard they fall, not how often they fall. The mark of the godly is that they get up again. Come on, everybody shout, get up. Get up. You might be down, but you're not out. Your failure is not final and it's not fatal. Jesus made it possible for us to get up. And so all across this room, if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, to this point I've given up, but this morning I'm ready to get up. Whatever it is, if you're ready to get up into your purpose, you're ready to get up into the call and mission on your life, you're ready to get up out of the addiction, get up out of the habit, get up out of the bad mood, whatever it is that you've fallen into, if up to this point you've given up this morning, you want to get up, I want you to lift your hand up and we're going to pray together. Come on. I'm ready to get up. I'm ready to get up. Come on, men, women, I'm ready to get up. Father, all over this room, God, we are grateful and thankful for the grace of God that's greater than all of our sin. God, not just to forgive it, but Lord, you're able to bring us out of it. And so, Father, today with your help, I pray, God, all over this room that our hair would begin to grow again. That, Father, in our call and in our purpose and in our mission, in spite of our failure, God, help us to get up and to walk it out. Father, in Jesus' name, we confess our sin and we receive your grace. We ask you to renew our hearts and our minds. God, help us to be defined 
not by our failures, but by your victories. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Man, can we honor God today for the word? Hey, listen, just before you go, I just want to challenge you, man. We've already had a great response first service. We have 170 kids back on that board. Some of you may feel like you're not in the place to do anything, and that's okay. You can at least pray, possibly join us for a missions trip, one of the three that we'll take in 2019. But if you're able, I would encourage you, man, to take some time and go back and at least ask questions, maybe consider adopting one or two kids. My wife and I, we already sponsor several kids through Compassion. We're going to pick up some kids here because we believe God's given us the resources to do it. I know $45 for some of you is a lot of money. But maybe it's just the difference of you not going out to dinner one night a month so you can make an eternal difference in a kid in another country. The, what we're doing here with Children's Hope Chest, this is not a one and done. We're not just mailing them checks. We're making a 10-year commitment into the community at this care point in the nation of Guatemala. We're not just going to adopt 200 kids. We're going to go back several times a year through missions trips. We're going to help build that local uh, community up. We're going to make investments, not just in, in the church, but in the education system. And I believe God's going to help Faith Church to make a difference in that community. Amen? Think about the difference that we can make. So stop back next steps. Get your questions answered. Possibly look at adopting one of those kids. We'll see you guys next week for a brand new series. God bless you.